Hey, good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving to so many of you. So glad you guys are here today with us. Also want to welcome those of you who are watching online today. If you're here or wherever you are, welcome. Uh, and uh, uh, we are honored that you would make part of your Thanksgiving uh, being with us, you guys. But now we've kind of turned the corner to Thanksgiving, and it's almost time for... Christmas, that's right. And so it's time for Christmas music. How many of you have already turned to the Christmas stations? Come on, be honest. I even found one, believe it or not. Christmas music, Christmas movies, uh, Christmas decorations. My house is already decked out for Christmas. It's what happens when your wife is home for a couple weeks without uh, anything to do. So that's what happened in our house, but it's also time for Christmas cookies. Can I get an amen? All right. And then, of course, here at Journey, Christmas means lots of services. We have 12 services we're going to be hosting here at JCI starting on the 20th of December, running all the way till Christmas Eve. We would love you guys to register, be thinking about who you can invite. It's going to be a wonderful season in our church. And what a great way to kind of wrap up 2020. I also want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew, if you have your Bibles with you, the first chapter in our New Testament to, again, chapter five, take out your notes or the JCI app and go to where it says sermon notes in there. And, uh, and we'll, be, uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter five for one last week here at JCI. Um, over the past many weeks, we have had as our series premise to learn the ways of Jesus so we can live life like Jesus as followers of Jesus. That's kind of been the big idea of this sermon series we've been in. And I'm going to close the, the series out today with a message uh, kind of rooted in verses 10 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. And we'll get there in a second. But I wanted to, first of all, share with you guys the goals of today's message, okay? Uh, the first goal is this, to learn what happens when we live and look like Jesus. You know, the first seven of the Beatitudes that we've been uh, reading about and studying over the past many weeks are things that we can do. Blessed are the meek. You can kind of generate, Lord, help me to be meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Lord, help me to be poor in spirit and humble. Blessed are the merciful or all the different Beatitudes that we've been looking at. The one we're looking at today is not one that we can uh, build ourselves. It's something that happens to us as we learn to live and look like Jesus. So we're going to dig into that here in just a minute. The second goal I have for this this message today is this, to learn how to say God is good anyway while enduring hardship. In fact, say that with me. God is good anyway. No matter what happens in our lives, God is always good. So we have a big job ahead of us in this message today. So I'm going to um, ask, invite you to pray with me and to ask God's spirit to teach us through his word. So will you join me in a quick word of prayer? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, why don't you maybe take a deep breath? Maybe that's the first deep breath you've taken all Thanksgiving holiday season. Lord, I know that, uh, I know that this Thanksgiving has been unlike any other for so many of us. Um, we're usually in our family, we usually have 20 to 30 people around our table. And this year there were seven and uh, it was just different. And we're kind of carrying that today. And uh, Lord, I just, I pray that uh, as we kind of dig into your word together today, that you would teach us, that you would help us to kind of leave what is at home at home and to just open our hearts to what you want to say to us through your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Okay, Matt, one last time. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It says this. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, 
for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, Pastor Christian taught on that one last week, for they will be called children of God. And then we get to verses 10 through 12. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today, we're going to talk about persecution. That's the common verse word you saw in all three of those verses, 10 through 12, that word persecution. And so we're going to kind of dive into this message. But before we dive into it, let's define what persecution meant to Jesus back when he told his disciples that you were going to experience persecution as you walk with God. Persecution in this context is any hostility experienced from the world as a result of one's identification with Christ. There's all kinds of persecution in our world today. What we're going to talk about today specifically is persecution that Christians, that followers of Jesus experience as followers of Jesus. This can include hostile feelings, attitudes, words, and actions. So what does persecution look like today on planet Earth in 2020? Well, it takes all kinds of shapes and sizes. One uh, type of persecution that many people experience in our world today is kind of rooted in, in politics and in, in, in the political system or the government that, they, that people live under. Like imagine if you lived in Cuba or in China, or in um, certain parts of India and Russia, where um, it's um, politically looked down upon because of their form of government to follow Jesus. That's a form of persecution that many, many people experience around our world who love the same Jesus who you love. Um, another form of persecution would be a religious form of persecution. Maybe um, in countries like Saudi Arabia or Iran, uh, more fundamentalist Muslim countries where it is literally illegal to be a follower of Jesus in those countries. And if you're found out worshiping with fellow Christians, you can be arrested and ultimately killed for your faith. Um, There's another type of persecution too. It's more of a, this kind of happens anywhere and everywhere. It's more of a social or cultural type of persecution where because um, the the prevailing uh, belief system around you is not one that follows Jesus, um, you can be denied employment. You can be physically attacked. You can be even murdered for your faith. And did you guys know that today, that this past year, there are over 260 million Christians living in places in our world where they experience high levels of persecution simply for naming the name of Jesus. That almost 3,000, 2,983 Christians last year were killed for their faith. Did you know that 9,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked in places like Africa and Asia and South America and Central America simply for existing and, and lifting up the name of Jesus. You know that 3,711 believers were detained last year without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And here's the stat that kind of blew me away as I was reading and preparing for today. Did you know that one in nine Christians around the world is experiencing high levels of persecution today? So that's kind of persecution on a big, big picture scale, on a global scale. What's kind of happening around our world in a really quick microcosm? But what about here? What what does persecution look like here in the United States of America and Kansas City or wherever it is that you're watching online today? What does it look like here? Well, it's it's definitely more in the social or cultural area, thank the Lord. But um, persecution today can look like some of these things. It can look like a high school student 
who's excluded because, and made fun of because he or she won't join the party crowd because of their desire to live a righteous life. Persecution can look like an employee, and maybe this has happened to you who sensed a need in a fellow employee, and you asked if you could pray for that employee. Maybe you shared the gospel with that employee only to get your wrist slapped because we don't do those kind of things around here. Persecution can look like a, a businessman or a or woman who's passed over for a promotion because you live righteously in the way you do business and you're unwilling to cut corners because you'd rather have integrity than have that promotion that sacrificing your integrity, would have to, you would have to do that to, to, to experience it. Persecution can look like the eye rolls and insults you get behind your back when you don't participate in the dirty jokes or the perverted conversations that happen so often in the workplaces that you and I uh, call home. Not in my work, but that doesn't happen at Journey, but, you know, maybe yours. And persecution can look like, let's be clear, that does not happen here. Uh, persecution can happen uh, with you as maybe the spiritual one. Maybe this happened with you just over the last few days as you've had family or had people around you for Thanksgiving when you were the one who was called upon to pray because you're the spiritual one in your family over the Thanksgiving meal and the eye rolls and the kind of talk behind your back continued. Maybe it's the attacks to you. Persecution can look like the attacks to your reputation you get for graciously standing for truth in a world that rejects truth as we know. And maybe, or maybe persecution looks like this. It just looks like you're left behind or you're left alone where there's noise all around you, but because you love Jesus, you can't go with the flow of where the world wants to take you. Persecution looks like all kinds of different things. And I think if I asked for a show of hands, I'm not going to, but if I asked for a show of hands here in the room today or to those watching online and asked the question, who has experienced at least one of those types of persecution I just shared? And I would see hands go up all over. Or maybe who is experiencing it right now, today, in your, in your journey that you're on today? That's just kind of the world that we live in today. And it's not getting better, is it, friends? It's not at all. So it's something that we have to kind of live with and experience and, uh, and honestly call, um, be honored to experience it as followers of Jesus. You know, my wife, Wendy, um, she, uh, she grew up in Ohio and she grew up in a, um, her dad, Willie, grew up in a super, super strict religious family. And um, uh, they, didn't, they didn't follow Jesus, but they followed their religious belief system and culture very, very closely. They were at church every week and um, went, to the, went to the school uh, that, that, their, that their belief system uh, wanted them to go to and all of that. And um, when, Wendy's da- when Wendy's dad, Willie, uh, was about 30 years old, he had a radical experience with God and um, gave his heart to Jesus um, at the age of 30. And when he told his mom, that he had become a born-again follower of Jesus and was leaving their church to go to a, a Protestant church that, um, that taught along with what he believed now. Her, his mother, Wendy's grandmother, looked at him and said these words. Her, her, her dad, would, her, Willie's dad, had already passed away. She said, to, she said to my father-in-law, she said, I promised your father at his grave that I would raise you to share our faith. And you leaving our faith mocks his grave and you spit on his grave. You're dead to us. And for years, you guys, that side of the family didn't talk to my, parent, my, my, my in-laws for years. It wasn't until Wendy and I got married, and we got married in a Protestant church, of course, and that was the first time most of them had ever been to a Protestant church before, that the healing process began um, to kind of reconnect all of us. You know, persecution happens persecution happens. And maybe you're thinking, well, what's, okay, that's, those are some things that persecution is. What are some things that persecution is not? 
Guys, persecution is not when people disagree with you. Sometimes we get into a debate about spiritual things with someone and, and we think we're, if they don't agree with us and they kind of attack us with their words, we think we're being persecuted. We're not being persecuted. We're just debating the things of God. That's not persecution. Persecution is not when your boss and coworkers ask you to tone it down a bit because you're being a little too forward in your faith at work. That's not persecution either. That's just like them wanting you to be a good employee and to be respectful of everyone. Persecution is also not, and hear this one, persecution is not being in an abusive situation where someone is browbeating the Bible, misusing the Bible over you, trying to keep you um, in a place where you're being abused and they're using the Bible to hide behind their abuse. That's not persecution, that's abuse. And that's different from what we're gonna talk about today. If you're being abused, then you need to get out of that situation. You need to let us help you get out of that situation and find the help you need to get away. That's, that's not persecution, that's abuse. That's a different thing. But all this talk leads me to share kind of a lesson one that we're gonna talk about here today. What happens when we live like Jesus? Hopefully you kind of gathered that if you're gonna live and look like Jesus, one of the things that Jesus told his disciples is gonna happen is this, it's persecution. Persecution is going to happen if you follow Jesus. It's just part of the deal. Um, Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous uh, professor and pastor and theologian, said this about verses 10 through 12 of Matthew chapter five. He said, this is what is gonna happen to you because you are a Christian. Not may happen to you, not could happen to you, not maybe, maybe, maybe. It will happen to you because you are a Christian. Um, and that's happened to me because I'm a Christian. I um, would love to share with you one story of that. I don't love to share with you, but I feel like it'd be helpful to, to share a story with you about, um, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago now, I guess. Um, I was a youth pastor at a church in uh, another city. And um, I oversaw birth through kind of the college age there, and there was a middle school retreat that happened while I was leading the ministry there. And I wasn't at this retreat. My junior high pastor led the retreat and all of that. And, uh, and it was a great retreat, except during the retreat, there was an incident that happened between two seventh grade girls, as happens between seventh grade girls, right? And uh, it kind of got blown up and became a big deal. And I got some calls even before the retreat was over that um, said, hey, Pastor Mike, get ready. You're going to have to deal with some conflict and deal with some stuff that happened on the retreat. And uh, so I was ready um, when, when they got back. And I, um, I talked to the leaders. I talked to the kids. I talked to some of the parents and just kind of figured out what was going on. But one of the parents um, of, of one of the girls um, directly called me that night and said, hey, Pastor Mike, can, I, can we meet tomorrow? I'd love to talk with you more about what happened. And I was like, sure, that's fine. So they came by uh, the church the next day to meet with me. And it was, but he didn't come just with himself. He brought what he called his advocate with him, okay? Felt like he was his attorney, but it wasn't an attorney. But it was kind of his advocate who came with him. And uh, as I kind of shared with them what we had already um, decided, we're gonna, the course of action we were going to take to kind of handle the situation. And I felt like we had our good handle on it. And we had a good solution to what was going on and all of that. Um, the dad was fine but the advocate was not so fine. He was pretty upset with the way I was handling the situation. He thought I wasn't handling it justly. And, and, uh, and so he began a campaign over the next few days to, um, to kind of try to gather people to kind of be, in his, be on his team, as it were. 
And he started calling elders. He called a couple of other pastors on our staff. And he, and he got some other parents together. And he basically was slandering my name and slandering my leadership and basically wanted to ruin me. And I remember um, one of the, he actually wrote me a letter that following week. And the, at the bottom of the letter, were there, there were four words. And those four words were these, you guys. They were, there will be blood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ever gotten one of those? Yeah. <laughs> No, I hope not. Have you ever had anyone spread false rumors about you and all you were trying to do was the right thing and you just can't seem to make them happy? That's where I was in this situation. And I remember kind of taking it to our lead pastor. His name was David. And I said, David, this is, this is what I've done. This is what, who I've talked to. These are the measures I'm taking. And I feel like it's good, except this one guy just will not let it go and is gathering people kind of to create this like riot in our church. And he looked at me and he said, Mike, have you done all that you can? And I'm like, yes, I've done all that I can. Are, are you at peace with the situation um, as far as it depends on you? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, okay, well, then what's happening is what happened to Jesus. What's happening now is what happened in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, where he said, insults, lies, accusations are going to be thrown at you because you're standing for truth and you're standing for what Jesus would want to do. And, it's, and, and one of the things that, I, just even in preparation for this message, when I, um, and I, as I was thinking, and the Lord brought that story back to my mind, thank you, Lord, <laughs> um, was this sentence that I said at the beginning of the message, that, that God is good anyway. And I also was reminded of this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4, where the apostle Peter writes to some friends of his who are experiencing great uh, persecution. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Remember, Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. We'll talk about that in a minute. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests on you. Guys, if you keep living for Jesus, this isn't a maybe it's going to happen. This is a, it's going to happen. You keep living for Jesus and persecution is going to happen. But remember this, that God is good anyway. God is good anyway. And as we look to the Bible, as we look to lots of different characters in the scripture, um, one of the things that, that so many of the characters in our Bible have in common is that as they stood for God, they faced persecution. As they stood for God, they faced isolation. As they stood for God, they faced lies and accusations against them. You think about, you think about Moses, who his, his people were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, the people of God were, and all the insults they in, endured as they were in captivity. You think about King David as he was pursued and attacked by King Saul and all the accusations that, that Saul threw at him and all the threats to his life that he threw David's way. You think about um, Esther and how the enemies... Um, of the, of the Israelites wanted to kill Esther's people and she had to stand for God in the middle of a great season of persecution of her people. You think about Elijah after he um, defeated the prophets of Baal, right after he defeated them, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel went after him and they wanted to kill him dead. You think about Nehemiah when he was rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem after the exile and, and Sanballat and Tobiah picked up stones and, one, and hurled insults and accusations at him to, to, to destroy him. And then you think about kind of the, I don't want to say the poster child for persecution in the Old Testament, but the guy who when most people think about persecution, they think about this guy. His name was Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah, man, 
he experienced unbelievable amounts of persecution. Let me just share with you a few of them. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 20, he, he prophesied to a priest named Pasher and the official in charge of the temple. And Pasher didn't like what, Isaiah, what Jeremiah said, so he beat him and put him in stocks. And then in, in Jeremiah chapter 26, um, the scripture says that Jer- uh, the prophets and all the people after G- Jeremiah prophesied a prophecy, they said, you must die. And they seized him and they beat him. And then in Jeremiah chapter 37, there were lies being spread about Jeremiah that he wasn't even, that he was deserting his role as a prophet. And they decided they wanted to beat and imprison him. And that's what they did. They had him beaten and imprisoned where he remained for a long time. And there are many more in the book of Jeremiah of persecutions that he experienced, but kind of the, the one that makes me kind of the saddest when I read about it is this one in Jeremiah chapter 38. It says they took Jeremiah and they lowered him into a cistern by ropes. It had no water in it, only mud, and Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Now, I say, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I would say that's kind of where Jeremiah hit the bottom of the barrel. Oh, come on. That's a little funny. <laughs> Jeremiah hit the bottom. But can you imagine, Jeremiah, after having gone through all of these and many more beatings and accusations and and people not wanting to listen to what he said about God and who he was, lowered in a cistern in a big barrel, sitting in the mud. This is a guy who stood for righteousness, one of the most righteous people in the Bible. He ministered for over 50 years, didn't see one salvation And he experienced enormous heartache, enormous persecution, but he never relented in his stand for righteousness. You guys, some of the most righteous people in the Bible, they were persecuted simply because they stood for God. And here's the key lesson that they pass on to us today in 2020. God is good anyway. God is always good no matter what comes our way. Let's look to Jesus himself. Think with me for a second about Jesus, that no one loved people like Jesus did, right? No one cared for people like the Samaritan woman or the woman caught in adultery like Jesus Christ did. No one loved and and ministered to and provided for the poor, the leper, the diseased, the crippled like Jesus did. No one loved the hurting and the broken like Jesus did. No one stood for those rejected by their communities like Jesus Christ did. No one taught in the temple and in homes and along the countryside the grace and the truth of the kingdom of God like Jesus did. You guys, no one confronted unrighteousness like Jesus did with grace and truth. No one lived a completely holy life like Jesus did. No one demonstrated they were God like Jesus did and how he fulfilled prophecy from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Bible. No one lived life like Jesus lived. No one loved like Jesus loved. No one led like Jesus led. But hear this, what did it get Jesus? What did it get Jesus ultimately? Where did Jesus land? Ultimately, it got Jesus mistreated from religious leaders and from the Romans. Ultimately, those very things that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5, 10 through 12, those insults and persecutions and people falsely saying all kinds of evil things about him, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Ultimately, it got Jesus in a legal trial. Ultimately, it got Jesus beaten for his um, for his stand for God. And ultimately, it got Jesus crucified on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins and for mine. You say you want to live like Jesus. That's what living like Jesus could ultimately land, land us at, guys. That's where living for Jesus could ultimately land us. The Bible says, if you want to live, everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus 
will be persecuted. Jesus reminded his disciples in John 15 of this. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If if you're experiencing hatred, it's not you, it's the Jesus in you. The world has always hated Jesus. Let's look to one more. Let's look to the Apostle Paul. Has any man outside of Jesus suffered more than the Apostle Paul? A little homework. Um, if you would maybe write this down in the side of your sermon notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following, if you want to kind of just see a laundry list of all the things that Paul went through because he followed Jesus. He was physically beaten and stoned and in danger all the time. He was emotionally drained because of his care for all the churches. He was spiritually abandoned by people who he led and loved. But Paul's perspective is amazing. And I would love to share that with you guys here today, this morning. He says this in Philippians chapter three. He says, but whatever gains, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing greatness, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And he goes on to say this in verse 10. He says, I wanna know Christ. I wanna know him. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained it, all this, or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on in to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. So many of you guys wear these bracelets that we provided a while back that say press on. On the other side, they say Philippians 3, 12 through 14. And, and this time is a time to press on in 2020, right? But it's also a time to press on as followers of Jesus because we never know when persecution's gonna hit us. And the, and the Apostle Paul is a model for us that says, hey, press on, hang in there. One of the things I love to do is I love to read biographies of great Christians of history. And one of my favorite um, authors or one of my favorite Christians in history was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer was a, was a pastor and a professor in Germany in the, in the 30s and um, into the 40s, 1930s and into the 40s. And he stood against Hitler. He stood against Nazism. And, and uh, one of the things that Bonhoeffer did is he led an underground seminary movement where he would kind of secretly go from town to town all over Germany during World War II trying to keep pastors encouraged teaching the Bible and encouraging everyone there to resist Hitler and resist Nazism. And uh, finally, the Germans caught up to him in 1943. They imprisoned him. And then just a couple of weeks before the end of World War II, um, they hung Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, and he died um, by execution. And one of the men who witnessed his execution was a physician. And uh, um, as he witnessed Bonhoeffer uh, being hung, he said this, he said, in almost 50 years, that I worked as a doctor, I've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a prayer that we as followers of Jesus want to pray? Just, God, help me to be entirely submissive to your will. Good, bad, ugly. In the times of great blessing, in the times of great hardship, God, help me to be entirely submissive to your will, to rejoice and be glad, not just in the good, but in the hard. That's what, this, that's what Bonhoeffer's model, that's my dream for my life. And I hope it's a, a dream that you have as well for your life as well. God, just help me to be entirely submissive to your will. He wrote this in a book I would really recommend called The Cost of Discipleship that he wrote. He said discipleship, and that just means following Jesus. Um, discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising 
that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token for, of his grace. It's a joy and a token of his grace. So good, so good. Well, let's now look to goal two. Goal one, we've kind of walked through the first lesson uh, to learn what happens when we live and look like Jesus. Persecution is something that happens. Let's look to, to lesson number two now, and that's to learn how to endure hardship while maintaining our trust in the goodness of God, that God is good anyway, no matter what. What do we do when, not if, persecution happens to us as followers of Jesus in the church. What do we do? Well, I first want to speak to the mindset that I think the scripture teaches that, that we need to have. And that's, that's really this. Um, there it is. It's to feel your heartbreak for those who persecute you, to feel your heartbreak for those who persecute you. When I was experiencing that, that persecution back years ago, one of uh, my initial response was obviously to protect myself and to not let him do what he did to me. But as, it, as time went on, God began to work in my heart and give me compassion for him um, in, in, in the persecution that he was giving. Let me illustrate to you why. A couple of weeks after this whole incident happened with the retreat and the incident at the, and, and all the kind of aftermath of that um, and the, all the accusations that were thrown my way and the rumors and all of that, when it all got kind of got resolved, this man, this advocate's wife saw me in church and she ran towards me. Okay, I didn't know if I was going to duck, run away. I didn't know what to do. So I just kind of stood there and she kind of grabbed my arm and she said, Pastor Mike, can I talk to you? And I was like, okay, can I get an advocate? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Uh, I, said, I said, sure, that's fine. And so we went into a private room and she began to weep. And she just said, Pastor Mike, I'm so sorry for the way my husband has been treating you. He has suffers from bipolar and depression and you became his target. He got upset with you and you just became his target and he just fixated on wanting to destroy you and I am so sorry. And, and it kind of changed my perspective, you guys. It took me from being kind of wanting to protect myself from him to having compassion for him. That, that and my heart began to break at the effect of sin and, what's, what, and the break of, just his broken mind um, that he had that caused him to do this. It made me think about Jesus when Jesus was on the cross and he did that ultimate act of selflessness when he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Even as he hung on that cross, he poured grace upon his accusers, you know? And, and that's the mindset I think that we want to have when we're persecuted. God, give me compassion for those who accuse me even as they hurt me. Now, that's not easy, but that's the mindset. That's why Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. Well, how can I do that? We're going to talk about that here in just a second. Let me maybe share with this saying before we move on, though. Have you ever heard this saying before, that hurt people hurt people? That's really what's happening most of the time when you're attacked or when you're persecuted. Well, let me share with you the second key to um, uh, enduring persecution, and that's this, to re realize who you are as a child of God, to realize who you are as a child of God. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way in Romans, in his letter to the church in Rome, chapter 8. He said, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's an incredible thought. That's an incredible thought. You guys, here's the bottom line. Whatever happens to you, whatever happens to us as followers of Jesus and as a church can never change our identity. Let me say that again. Whatever happens to us, whatever happens to you 
as followers of Jesus and as a church, can never change our identity. You see, because if you know Jesus and follow Jesus, the three key questions of life are already settled. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? We just talked about the who am I. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God, and nothing can separate you from his love. Amen? Nothing can change that, no matter what people say, no matter what people do, no matter what lies are thrown at you, no matter what lies are thrown at us, nothing can change that. Second question that settles that question of purpose. Why am I here? Our purpose is to know Christ and to make him known. And does persecution happen as we know Christ and as we seek to make him known to our lost and hurting world? Of course it does. Yes, it does. Jesus promised that it would. And then that third question of life about where I'm going, you guys, here's the best news of all. There is a day where we're going to all be in heaven together, those of us who are fathers of Jesus. And no matter what's happening here, When we get there, it's all going to be okay. And that leads me to kind of my third point there is that that one you just saw um, right there, that knowing where I'm going and what awaits me when I get there. That's a great thing to remember as you endure persecution. Paul said it this way in in Philippians chapter 1. He said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. To live as Christ, to die as gain. What does that mean? It means if I'm living, that means I'm living for Jesus. That means he is my focus, honoring him, living for him, knowing him, making him known. That's my focus. And if I were to die, if I were to lose my life, that's gain. What does that mean? That's heaven. That's to be with God eternally once once we pass on. And that is a no-lose proposition, friends. That's a no-lose. Yesterday, I did a funeral for for a Christian man named Ed Sims. And at that funeral, I shared this about heaven, and I thought I would share it with you this morning. Talked about Ed, and I said, Ed is in a place where a lifetime here will seem like a mere breath compared to the time we spend in eternity, where he is face to face with Jesus, where he is home in his eternal dwelling place forever and ever. Ed is with the saints from every age. He's in a place, hear this, he's in a place where there is no conflict, no elections. (laughs) Amen. I've added that one. No conflict, no misunderstandings, no drama, no fear, no anger, no loneliness, only perfect love and intimacy. The ideal fellowship that you and I all yearn for with God that will one day be ours forever is his now. To live as Christ, to die as gain. If you're experiencing persecution or you do experience it, guess what? There's gonna come a day where it's gonna be all gone and it's all gonna be Okay, and thoughts of heaven should make us rejoice and be exceedingly glad. You know, I couldn't uh, finish this message without um, talking about, I couldn't not share. I prayed, I kind of wrestled with the Lord over this last point if I wanted to share it or not. And um, he said, Mike, you have to share it. And I said, okay, I'm gonna share this last point. This isn't so much about how Christians should endure persecution as it is to advocate for those who are in our world today. And uh, that's this, to learn about, one of the things I wanna challenge you to do this morning, if you don't already, is to learn about and pray for the persecuted church. I shared earlier in in this message about churches across our world that there's thousands of them experiencing great persecution um, as followers of Jesus. And one of the ways that you can learn about and pray for is this is what I do in my own quiet time every day. Um, I have an email that I get every single day from um, an organization called Operation World. Um, You just go to that website. You can take a picture if you want, operationworld.org. And every day, this ministry, they don't browbeat you. They send you one email a day. 
And it's um, what they do is they, they list a country every single day that you can pray for. We've been in this past week. I've been in, I've prayed for Tunisia. I've prayed for Turkey. I prayed for Turkmenistan. Um, I prayed for Turks and Caicos yesterday. Today, I prayed for, this morning, I prayed for Uganda. Just a way to be reminded that there are Christians around the world who experience persecution in powerful and unbelievable ways physically. We care about the gospel here at Journey being proclaimed all the world. That's why we have ministry partners all over the world in Israel and Turkey and in different places all over the world because we want to stand with and stand for those who are standing for Jesus so boldly. Guys, never forget this final beatitude that says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Yeah, persecution is proof of whose we are, but um, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As I just reshare this verse. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Guys, settle in on these truths of these Beatitudes, and they will help you to walk closely and live and look like Jesus. That's been the goal of this whole series. That's been the premise of this whole deal, to to help you to see that no matter what happens in your life, to hunger and thirst after God in all of his ways and to know that when persecution comes to, to endure it as Jesus calls us to but to also know that it's going to be okay because God is good anyway. Um, my favorite missionary biography is, is called A Shadow of the Almighty by Elizabeth Elliot. It's the story of her husband Jim Elliot and his, um, and his their their life in South America as they sought to bring Christ to a tribe of Indians called the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And Jim Elliot ended up dying by the hand of those Indians, uh, of those uh, Ecuadorian Indians that down there. But one of the things that he said in that book that has stayed with me uh, my whole life is that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Never forget this, you guys, that God is good. Will you join me in prayer as we kind of ask God to help us seal these truths into our hearts and our minds? Father God, we thank you so much. Um, We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that Jesus lived that perfect life and he died that undeserved death. He was persecuted in the ultimate way so that our sins could be forgiven through his act of salvation on the cross and then when he rose from the dead. Thank you so much for Jesus. And if you're here today, if you're here watching online or you're here in the room today and you're not right with God, can I just share with you this, that Jesus came and died for your sins so that you could be forgiven, that he was resurrected so that you might have a new life in Christ. And if you're not right with God today, if you're if you know that you're not living for God today, that you haven't experienced anything close to persecution because the truth is you're not really living for Jesus in a way that would cause people to raise their eyes at the stand that you're taking for him. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, would you in the silence of this moment and the safety of this place just tell Jesus that you need him? Just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you to forgive my sin and my brokenness. I need you to heal me and make me brand new. Just say, Jesus, I surrender my will to yours. Maybe for the first time, maybe you're coming back home to Jesus this morning. That you would ask Jesus to revisit your heart and to have him lead you. 
guys, can I just say to you this morning that Jesus loves you and that it is the honor, of, it could be would be the honor of your life to suffer for him. That doesn't sound like a bright and cheery message, but that's the message of today, to rejoice and be glad when people say, insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. For great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. Jesus, we as a church say that no matter what happens in our lives, good, bad, or ugly, no matter whether we're living in a time of great fruit and blessing, no matter we're living in a time of great persecution and hardship, God, help us to live for you, to be to understand that, God, our identity is sealed as children of God, that the mission of God is clear and obvious to know you and to make you known, and that one day heaven will be our destiny. God, we love you. We thank you. Help us to live on mission for you, no matter what it costs us, because it costs you everything. Jesus, we love you. We pray these things.